an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animal, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And as I mentioned last Wednesday, WNF fell short of its goal in the station's recently completed summer fund drive. So if you missed a chance to pledge or would like to pledge again in support of any show here on WMNF, please visit WMNF.org and donate. Be much appreciated. Thanks. Meanwhile, my guest today is Valerie Benka, the Director of Programs for the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, ACCND. ACCND is an entity whose chief commitment involves reducing populations of homeless cats and dogs. And while to that end, ACCND considers itself, quote, steadfast supporters of traditional surgical spaying and neutering, end quote, the alliance recognizes the limitations of spay and neuter relative to the staggering number of cats and dogs born each year. That avalanche of births generates a towering collective of new kittens and puppies, the wrong end of a numbers game for these animals, a large percentage of which will face a dark fate. With this in mind, ACCND sees a fundamental need globally for new methods of sterilization, emphasizing ones that are faster, easier, and less expensive than surgery, as they say meaning methods of non-surgical fertility control such as injections, contraceptive implants, and oral medications. This is a field experiencing wide exploration, including by, of course, ACCND. Valerie Bank is ACC Director of Programs, as I say, drawing on her experience in nonprofit management and animal welfare, including stints at the International Fund for Animal Welfare and the Humane Society of the United States. Her background also includes undergoing a variety of educational training, and she holds two graduate degrees. We'll cover various aspects of the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, non-surgical for fertility control, maybe some surgical methods too, and more. I'm going to speak with Valerie Bank in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Also coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Marissa Dupuy. Chief Financial Operating Officer at Coastal Animal Clinic, Veterinary Hospital Operation with locations in Largo and Tampa. The Largo location plays host to an adoption event in Open House this Saturday, June 24th from 2 to 5 p.m. The adoptable animals will be provided by Paw Life Rescue and Suncoast Animal League. More on this later in today's show. Right now, the list discusses some methods of contraception for cats and dogs with Valerie Benka. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF.org or texting 813-433-0885. This is Valerie Benka on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Valerie. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so, excited to be here. Oh, great. Well, so we're here, of course, chiefly to discuss contraception for cats and dogs with an emphasis on primarily non-surgical ways to achieve that contraception. Um, but first, since at the moment you're our uh, tour guide of this realm this morning, I'd like to get to know a little bit about you first. Let's trace your path a bit. If I had to guess, I would think you were probably nuts about animals from the time you were a little kid. You bet. <laughs> 
I was. Yeah, I um, I grew up with animals. Um, I, you know, for a very long time um, in my childhood, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I, I was an only child and definitely bonded, um, especially with animals, I think, because of that. And um, ended up uh, entering college, um, expecting to pursue a pre-veterinary path and I ended up majoring in American literature, but kind of always wanted to circle back to the animal realm. And so just to back up a little bit, um, so what kind of animals did you grow up with uh, in your in in your family? I grew up with dogs mm-hmm. um, and a couple rescued hamsters okay. along the way um, and um, fish. Oh, wow. That's a nice mix. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so was uh, in, in your family, given that sort of cross-section of... Uh, of critters, uh, was there a particular attitude towards animals that that either at the time or later you thought back on that was sort of uh, projected? I think um, you know I was I was lucky in that my my family was always very very good to the animals mm-hmm. that we had and um, and conveyed to me you know from the time I was really little the need to be very respectful of them and respectful of their needs and respectful of their behavior. Um, and it, you know, that, that definitely had an impact long term. Yeah. And then at what point along the way, especially after getting, you know, the sort of literature oriented degree, when did you sort of decide, hey, you know, working with animals is actually something I'd really like to have be my job? Pretty soon after, after, um, you know, graduating, graduating from college, I was working in the nonprofit field, but not, I was working in an educational nonprofit actually, mm-hmm. and volunteering, um, extensively with some, um, animal rescues in the Washington DC area. And, um, you know, very quickly found myself heading up a cat adoption program for one. And from there I went back to school and that sort of led to the to where I am now. So you went back to school kind of thinking, hey, I, I, I'd like to get more training or specific kind of uh, education in the realm that I kind of find myself gravitating towards? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, yeah, I, I first did, I thought animals in public policy would be a really interesting um, area to pursue so I I did a um, master's program at Tufts, Cumming School of Veterinary Medicine, and their mm-hmm. Animals and Public Policy program. And then I um, went from there and did a, a program in conservation biology, um, which was really me kind of wanting to be more effective at advancing animal welfare through science. Mm. That's really interesting because... I'm sure you know uh, at least as much as the next person. Sometimes conservation gets bandied about in in ways in the general animal world um, that to some people, some of us at least, think uh, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with conservation, but it's it's certainly a powerful word that 
you know, generates a different response than sometimes how it's actually being carried out. Yes, I think I think that's definitely true. Um, and I, I think, though, that also there's a lot of potential for a lot more productive dialogue yeah. <laughs> between the you know, con- so-called conservation world and the animal welfare world um, to really come up with some some solutions that um, are effective and you know workable um, to to both interests. Yeah, and that's that's something that ACC and strives to do, and that's one of the reasons why I so enjoy working here. Yeah. And so am I right in thinking that, that alongside those kind of educational paths that your career in animal uh, welfare and beyond has been sort of characterized by efforts towards adoption? Like early on, you've said you kind of found yourself spearheading that cat adoption uh, effort and uh, as well as kind of sort of just generally seems like reducing the animal population, finding homes for homeless animals and or uh, again, striving to reduce that population. Is that a bit of a Valerie Banka running theme, maybe? <laughs> it is, I would say so. Yeah, of, of recognizing that there are, um, you know, there, there are a lot of animals out there that need homes, and there are different ways to improve their lives and find homeless animals' homes and you know, just basically... Um, you know, improve the well-being of animals and communities, and you know, adoption is obviously one of them. And humanely managing populations is is another big one. So, why do you think uh, early on, and and sounds like pretty much ever since that your interest and in, and in therefore kind of your career has tilted towards those things, uh, adoption slash, you know reducing or trying to manage uh, animal population. Why do you think those things drew you and, and obviously have continued to draw you and maybe more powerfully? Yeah, you know, I think that there's, um, that's a good question. I think that for me, it, it has to do with um, a desire to support more vulnerable beings. Mm. Um and there's a, a, a strong social justice issue there. There's a strong, um, I think, sort of just desire to improve lives of, of species or individuals who who would otherwise, um, you know, be in a vulnerable position. Yeah. So it's obviously important to you and... and um Sort of rhetorical here, but why should it be important to others, do you think? Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think it's a it's a question that I think has a lot of different answers depending on um, where where you live and what the resources are in, in the areas where you live. But I think that there's... Um, there's a there's a compelling argument to be made for certainly the the well being of animals I think is is a really um, worthy goal and worthy mission but I also think there's a component of the the well being of communities um, and I've done a fair bit of international 
work um, in areas that are really very under-resourced, particularly in the veterinary realm. And the number of, um, you know, in particular where I've worked, free-roaming dogs has a, they're they're really important communities, but Mm -hmm. they also can have a really detrimental effect when when there's not management and you know when the animals are in poor condition and there's the there's the something called the one health paradigm um looking at the the health of people animals and the environment sort of as as all interconnected and when you have animals that can bite and animals that can um transmit or dogs in particular that can transmit rabies to people there's a real fear that can emerge from that. Yeah. So those are some pretty good reasons that everybody should treat it as a pretty important topic. I think so. Yeah. This is Talking Animals. If you just tuned in, my guest is Valerie Benka, the Director of Programs for Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs, an entity whose uh, chief commitment really involves um, reducing populations of homeless cats and dogs, emphasizing non-surgical methods to do so. If you'd like to ask Valerie a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, or email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So tell me about the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, a little bit of you know overview of its history, its you know evolution, and I guess mainly in amp with what its current mission is. Absolutely. Um, so I'll just start with the, the mission, um, which is to advance non-surgical sterilants, which we define as a permanent um, treatment and contraceptives, which could be temporary, um, you know, of varying durations of, of effectiveness for cats and dogs and to promote their global accessibility. So we are definitely a, a niche organization. Yeah. Um, we, I think it's important to emphasize that we don't want to do away with surgical spay-neuter, <clears throat> but we really want to add more tools to the toolbox and give veterinarians and shelters and guardians and pet owners more options. Yeah, well, I want to come back to that in a sec, but... Can you talk a little bit more about sort of the history and evolution of um, the Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs? We did we did go kind of directly to their mission, which of course is critical. Yeah, but. you bet. You bet. Um, yeah. So ACCMD um, it began in its very nascent form um, in 2000 at a Say USA conference, actually, where there was a panel discussion on non-surgical sterilants and and development and sort of the dream of, of effective non-surgical option. And, um, and that panel brought together some real key players early on um, and they, they started talking and, um, and one, of, one of the people who attended that um, panel and that conference was Joyce Briggs, who's now president of ACCND. And um, those early years prompted some meetings and conferences and discussions and um, just sort of early collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, ACCND then became a formal nonprofit in 2005. And, um, and I can talk a little bit about what happened from there. Um, 
if, uh, if, if that's of interest um, at this point. But the um, yeah, it became a nonprofit in 2005, and since then, the organization has worked to really advance the field, advocate for the field, advocate for new research, also to serve as sort of a truth teller and be um, an unbiased, independent perspective on different options that are developing or, you know, available. So kind of in the way that you um, unfolded uh, academically there uh, when you realized, hey, uh, I'm definitely interested in animals and, and doing more and going back and get getting some more uh, educational training. Sounds like for you it was important that there would be a scientific underpinning when you um, – looked into, you know, like going after the conservation biology degree. And it sounds like that's mm-hmm. kind of echoed by um, the Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs, too, that it's, that it's really grounded in science and scientific findings and research. You bet. Yeah, it is. And I think the other really important thing to mention is that, and because and it really aligns with my values, it's, it's also... Um, founded as, as a collaborative effort and there's a real promotion of collaboration and for bridging um, animal welfare world, scientific world, veterinary, pharmaceutical worlds and you know, groups that might not otherwise talk very much with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to get them talking with a common goal. Yeah. And, and are there... Uh Conferences and other things, like the way that the Alliance initially came together, as you just described in 2000, kind of as an offshoot of, of, of a conference panel. Are there similar conferences and, and uh, gatherings and other things that you guys put together and sponsor in the interest of cultivating more of that collaboration? There has been, yeah. We've had um, conferences about every five years. Um, and in addition to conferences um, that have tended to have a scientific development track and sort of a field implementation track. We've also coordinated events that we've called think tanks mm. that bring together um, experts from different areas to sort of start tackling um, a specific question. Um, and then we've, we've basically presented at other conferences as well, um, and that provided some networking as well. Great. All right, well, let's, uh, we got a caller here. Let's get them involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Valerie Benka. Hello, it's you. Go ahead. Hello, go ahead. It's you. Okay. Um, I just have a question regarding contraceptive. That's peculiar to me. I don't know why we would have contraceptives for cats and dogs when really we need bang and neutering. I don't think it's as if a um, a homeless dog is going to all of a sudden say, oh, darn it, I wish I had had children. You know, these these poor animals are on the streets. And, um, you know, I just just read an article about a a dog that's been in a shelter for over 200 days. Um, You know, there are just a lot of animals on the streets and who need, you know, we need to stop and stay and neuter animals instead of, you know, what are we going to do, give them birth control pills? I mean, I, I just don't understand this concept. 
and and yes, it may be rooted in science. However, so is spaying and neutering. It's just it's a curious perspective to me. All right. Well, you came to the right place, caller, because I think uh, Val- Valerie is uniquely qualified to answer that exact question. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I think that you you certainly raise a good a good question there. Um, and I have there are a couple thoughts that I have on that. One is that there are so many different um, kind of categories of animals, for lack of a better word, when you think about pets and homeless animals, and you know, in different 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 areas with different degrees of access to veterinary care and surgery. Um, and one, um, the, the options that are currently available are contraceptives. One is an implant called the Prelerin, um, and, and it, can, um, it can last for about six months or 12 months as, as a temporary contraceptive, and the animal is basically has all the same features as having been sterilized at that point. And, you know, I think that that's been really useful for some people who aren't comfortable um, initially with the idea of staying or neutering. So it's a way to kind of test test things Mm -hmm. out um, and see how, you know, what effect it has on the animals, how the, how the person um, feels about, um, feels about the experience. So it can be useful for that. Um, and then the other thing that I think is relevant, and, and ACCND has been focusing on this and re-looking at uh, actually an oral contraceptive called uh, Magistral Acetate um, in light of the pandemic. Um, Magistral Acetate is, is an oral um, contraceptive that is short-acting, but we were, you know, with, with the pandemic in the U.S., that occurred with the early early months of kitten season. There was this massive shutdown um, mm-hmm. in in stay neuter um, opportunities, and even now there's there's still a backlog in surgeries. Um, there was an estimate in a paper that came out, you know, estimating a deficit of more than 2.7 million um, surgeries from the start of the pandemic. So we viewed. Um, MA is potentially a short-term stopgap um, mm-hmm. solution um, that people could use to prevent animals from getting pregnant while um, while they were waiting at, at this point in time where there's not a permanent sterilant on the market um, while they were waiting for surgery. I appreciate that, and it sounds almost like it's for um, people who have pets, not necessarily for strays. Um, but I mean, I can't imagine trapping strays every six months and trying to give them contraceptives. <laughs> but um, kudos for those who do. Well, okay, well, th- thank you so much for your call, and thank uh, you raise a really good question here. Thank you, appreciate it. So. Um, so I guess, you know, where I was just about to go before the caller is that just to kind of note um, 
for so many people in the animal welfare generally and in the animal shelter world, um, and it sounds like really our caller could, could sort of fit one or both of these descriptions, the the goal for decades has been spay-neuter, spay-neuter, and we're not performing spay-neuter. People are talking about spay-neuter and spay-neuter <laughs> campaigns. Um, right. yet, yet part of the ethos uh, of the Alliance for Contraception and uh, Cats and Dogs, as I understand it, is as you've already, I think, noted once here in our conversation, spay neuter has its virtues. You're not saying, hey, we're against it or, or we should stop it. Um, but as I understand it, maybe it's a finer line than I was able to, to glean. Uh, but there's a, maybe a better way to tackle the global issue of homeless cats and dogs by these efforts. That's definitely true. Yeah. And, and even in the U.S., I think it's easy to assume that because high-quality spay-neuter and oftentimes subsidized spay-neuter is available in many areas. It's available everywhere. Um, but, but that's not the case. Um, so, so, in a, so our goal is really, and as I said, to add tools to the toolbox, to expand options, to expand accessibility. I mean, this is partially a discussion of access to veterinary care. Um, and, and that's, especially true internationally as well, where there's an, a serious shortage of, of skilled veterinary um, surgeons or, or even veterinary equipment um, to perform surgery in many places. So it sounds like some of the efforts or some of the recommended uh, paths are different department, depending on what part of the, the world we're talking about. Right, right. Yes. And, and I think it's also there's, um, because you're talking about not surgery, but um, a vaccine or some sort of other um, technology, there is a regulatory approval aspect um, to what will be available in different countries in the future. Right. Because I would think that part of that effort would be for a certain purpose, uh, maybe the contraception, the temporary uh, aspect of that would be preferred, but I would think the sterilant part, as you uh, outlined it, being more a permanent measure, uh, would be critical for I think a number of other uses, and I guess part of that. Yeah. So. And so what? Yeah. And that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I, I was going to say that that is um, sort of a, a major goal. Um, to develop a non-surgical permanent sterilant. And that is actually um, one of the, there's a major um, funding source with a program called the Michelson Prize and Grant Program that is supporting development um, of towards permanent options. Right. So meanwhile, these, just, just to go back to a little bit what the caller was raising, uh, so we're talking about ways... Uh, at the moment, at least, to supplement and and sort of add more um, options to spay neuter. No one's saying, "Hey, th- this is better," and we're replacing spay neuter. We're, we're, do I have that right? Yes, you do. Yeah. you do absolutely. Yeah, I don't think we would ever say that spay neuter would or should be entirely replaced. But it's you know, animals are individuals and. Guardians of animals are individuals, and communities are individual. Or communities, you know, are 
vary um, in terms of kind of what they want and what they need. So we're all about um, expanding access to veterinary care and expanding options. Yeah. So one thing that I think you just sort of touched on, but just to maybe elaborate a little bit more, um, if you could describe the uh, the very recently published study uh, that seemed to reflect great promise for for a non-surgical sterilin, which seems to be, if I follow you, kind of the the key goal in some regards. Yeah, sort of the holy grail. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was very exciting. Um, this article was recently published in Nature Communications, and um, it was um, about a multi-year study of, of um, sterilant vaccine in female cats. Um, it was a small study, but um, the results were really promising and that no treated cats got pregnant. Um, it, so the, the treatment is this um, single injection gene therapy treatment that inhibits ovulation in female cats. It's given um, via intramuscular injection like many other vaccines, and it basically prompts the cat own body to produce something called anti-malarian hormone at levels that are high enough to block um, the follicles in the ovaries from maturing and releasing eggs. If there are no eggs, then there's no pregnancy. Um, and in this study, um, there were six treated cats and three control cats. Um, a male, the females were all in a communal area, a male cat joined them for, um, I believe it was 40 hours a week. And um, all three of the control cats got pregnant. Um, two of the six treated female cats mated with the male cat, but none became pregnant. So so that it's, it's just a tremendous leap forward for the field and, and really exciting. Um, and I think holds a lot of promise for the future. So how 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 do we go from there then, uh, Valerie? Like in, in the in the wake of that study, which as you say seems super promising, but was very small, um, although multi-year. Um, what happens next to sort of widen out uh, from there and achieve something that maybe gets us closer to um, something that could could possibly be used on a, on a wider level altogether. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> the um, the the team that has worked on this um, vaccine, um, as well as the Michelson Prize and Grants Program, um, which I I um, mentioned earlier, that funded the research, um, they're moving forward um, with further studies, and um, and you know I, the next a uh, next step um, towards being available commercially for wide use would be to pursue FDA approval, um, U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration approval mm-hmm. for it. So there, there are several more steps um, before this would become available, um, but it is, you know, this is a really important start. And um, 
Let me just remind people who might have joined us late. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. I'm speaking with Valerie Benka of Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, which is committed to reducing populations of homeless cats and dogs, emphasizing non-surgical methods to uh, do so. So if you'd like to get in on the conversation, ask Valerie a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dg at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So a few questions then about the steps and where we're going with that. But one thing, and I hate that I even sort of have to ask this, but since you mentioned this a couple of times, does, does the word vaccine create any sort of issues for what kind of work you guys are engaged in on this? Um, you know, to up and you know to this point, um, it has not really been an issue. Okay, because it does seem like, uh, as it kind of goes without saying, it does seem to be a, a word that can now seems to elicit all kinds of uh, responses that. Uh, I just didn't know if that would be like a, at the very least a distraction or, or worse um, for your efforts. Yeah, I I certainly I certainly hope not. Okay, so um, so once this once all those steps were taken, like what, what any kind of sense of what sort of cost this would involve for for someone once it became available on the market. And they said, "Hey, this is this is a path. Maybe we should go with." Uh, in lieu of, uh, we we just adopted a, you know, a dog, and instead of going the spay neuter route, we'll uh, maybe we'll we'll do this instead. Yeah. So for this um, particular treatment, and I just want to emphasize that the study that was published was actually for female cats, right? Um, not dogs, but there. That's but true. There yeah. are um, there are plans. Um, underway and, and work underway to um, see if, if the same um, approach could be effective in dogs. Um, but so just want to clarify that. But right. The, so does that mean, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Valerie, but it's my, my own uh, question that I probably should have asked better the first time. So is the thing that's underway and still has multiple steps before it would even get to possibility of FDA approval. Is that the, the, the same exact item that, uh, pro, you know, product that was in the study? So this would be specifically for cats, female cats, and there's there might be other projects, other studies underway for other things, but that's the one we're talking about that's furthest along at this point, and it's going to move forward. Right, yeah. The, okay. the cat um, product is is furthest along, and it's and it, um, a species-specific yeah. um, technology because a cat gene was used in its design. Right. Um, so a dog, a dog product would, you know, and, and require a dog-specific version. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but regarding cost, um, the cost has not been determined, but it it's certainly something that's being looked at um, by the team that is developing um, the the treatment. And the goal is to make the eventual product affordable to um, both the veterinarian as well as the the pet owner, um, if it's given to an, an owned animal, as well as to ensure that um, it can be used to help control populations of unowned cats. So there's really a, a mission to make this accessible. 
yeah. price-wise. So, so yeah, let, let's talk a little bit more about that last uh, scenario. So, um, I mean, as we have now, there's shelters, other places where, as we talked about, there's, you know, spay, neuter, spay, neuter. And, um, and so there's all kinds of clinics and other things and low cost or, you know, uh, opportunities. So is that sort of what people envision as, as, as this gets approval and as becomes available? Um, so for not just the, the vet use that you mentioned or the pet owner use, but for the wider sort of population of homeless animal use? I think so. Um, and I personally would love, love to see that. Um, you know, I, I've been involved in um, trap, neuter, return efforts, um, and they're, you know, they're time-consuming and they're costly and they're resource-intensive um, and I think really stressful for yeah. animals as well. And um, our, our dream, our vision is that a product could basically, an animal could be trapped in the field, um, probably given a mild sedative, um, if they were not a social cat and um, you know, could have given a, a once over um, physical and um, given you know, a, a sterile injection and um, other vaccines um, you know, as, as appropriate and um, released in, back into the field you know, in, in very short order. So it wouldn't involve the transport and the potential overnight stay and the risk of infection and all the things that that we currently face now with TNR efforts. So it sounds like yeah, under under that system, all, everything would happen at that one encounter, right? And then right. there there wouldn't be exactly. any reason to transport the animal or do anything else. It would all take place in whatever period of time that would require to to. Uh, Check it out. Um, give the in, injection and anything else, but but it'll all just be that that one single encounter, and then the cat's ready to go. Exactly. Yeah, that that's the vision. Yeah. So, what, what do you think? Are, are there um, educational or other obstacles uh, to pursuing this? And then again, projecting a little bit, assuming it gets approved, which sounds like it's quite promising in that regard. Um, are, there, are there things that, that you already have found or that you guys anticipate stand in the way uh, for people to sort of embrace this, even if it does make its way through and get approved? Um, you know, I think that um, there, there's, there are obstacles for sure. I think there are obstacles with anything new and novel. Yeah. Um, there, we, um, ACCND will be working um, with um, the Michelson team um, and some others on sort of looking at, looking at people, you know, human behavior, consumer behavior, just to, just to get a better um, sense of how how the product can be most effective um, when it when it becomes available. Um, there's, I think, there will always be um, certainly a learning curve as well as some time that it takes for for something new and novel to really become a a key.
key part of um, veterinary and animal welfare protocols. But that, I think that's true with anything new. Yeah, no, for sure. I just wondered if um, just the just the inherent difference of everybody's so deeply, as I touched on before, programmed about spay neuter, spay neuter. Um, it was not just that this sterilant would be new, but it would have to sort of overcome whatever kind of fairly deep programming there is in all kinds of folks uh, about the virtues of spay neuter and 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 why and how they should embrace this alternative. But, Absolutely, but. But again, there, then, then there's the difference between areas where spay and neuter is a, a real option and areas where it's not because you just don't have the veterinarians and the infrastructure um, and the training to, to make it an option. And those animals right now are kind of getting, getting lost in the, you know, in the shuffle and, and um, I think really can can experience very poor welfare um, because of it. So so this again, it just comes back to increasing access and options. Yeah. Well, we got an email here. I'm not quite sure exactly what the uh, emailer is asking, but I'm just going to pass along. So, ask your guest mostly feral cat problem, and then also ask percentage of stray cats versus stray dogs. So. Um. Mm-hmm. I'm not not uh, try to answer that based on what my guess is. Um, certainly, the in the U.S. Um, and in many other countries, the the bigger you know the larger population and the larger focus among free free roaming or or stray or community or feral, whatever term you use. Yeah. Um, it's, it's cats, um, but there are also a lot of countries where the, the primary concern um, and primary focus is dogs and needs to be dogs, both, both from an animal welfare standpoint as well as a public health standpoint. So we, we certainly do hope that, um, that there are future options um, coming down the pike in the not-too-distant future for dogs. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, Valerie, we have just kind of been just about reached the end of our time here. Anything else just by way of um, summary that we should know uh, before we say goodbye today? No, I, um, no I, I would say that we have a lot of resources and information on ACC&D's website. And um, I'd, if anybody has any further questions um, or would like to learn more, I encourage you to go to our website, which is acc-d.org. And um, I just really appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure to talk about what we're up to, and I hope that people have learned something interesting. Well, I think so. I think we definitely have uh, explored some really interesting territory here, and there's more, more obviously, to come. So thank you. So we've been speaking with Valerie Benka, again, of the Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs. The website is ACC, well, I, I would have said hyphen, but you said dash, so either way, something like that, d.org. So acc-d.org for the website. Lots of great information and resources to find out more about some of the stuff we talked about today and some of the stuff we didn't have a chance to discuss. So, Valerie, thank you so much for joining us today on Talk Animals. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll talk with Marissa Dupuis of Coastal Animal Clinic, a veterinary hospital operation with two locations, one in Largo, the other right here in Tampa. The Largo location will be the site of their first adoption event and open house happening this Saturday, June 24th from 2 to 5 p.m. Right now, we're going to step into the comedy corner with Matt Bronger with a portion of a longer piece that I'm calling Owls in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Anyway, Harry Potter. Um... Like, I like them, I like the books, I like the movies, but I think they send the wrong message to our kids. And that's that it's okay to own an owl for a pet. <laughs> no, okay? I'm from Oregon, I know. Owls are made of claws, feathers, and hatred. That's it. <laughs> like, owls don't give a crap. You ever look at an owl, the rage and hatred in his eyes? Up in a tree, like, who? Who? Who's next to die? It's you, mouse! Owl! And I'm back. Hating everything that lives. But the kids want owls. Look, I know a lot of you guys are like, nuts to you, I'm getting an owl. Don't do it, okay? Because a friend of mine was driving once after a storm, and he found a baby owl that fell out of a tree, right? A baby owl. Can you imagine anything cuter than a baby owl? Like, don't hurt your brain. It's impossible, right? Not even a kitten with an eye patch is cuter than a baby owl. And that's cute. Little pirate kitten, right? So my friend, yar, so my friend, <laughs> my friend gets this, uh, gets it home and he calls the Humane Society. He's like, hey, I found a baby owl. How do I raise it? And the guy's like, let it go, dummy. The Humane Society called him a dummy. Like, their name means the be nice society. You know they weren't messing around, you know. But they told him this. They said an owl that you raise in captivity will never stop trying to attack you. Like, and it knows it's you. It knows who you are. Imagine having this animal in your house growing strong off its hatred of you. <laughs> Just sitting in a cage doing owl prison exercises, getting ready. Like waiting for that day he makes his Hannibal Le Lecter-like escape wearing another owl's face. Surprise! I'm not the good owl. Death! <laughs> like you come home, he's taunting you. You've had a hard day at work coming home and you see this. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, it's me, your owl. <laughs> Didn't get that promotion, huh? That sucks. Know what else sucks? I'm gonna kill you when I get out. Oh, you're gonna hide from me? You can never hide! My head goes all the way around! You're dead! All right, stay loose. Prepare for war. Stay loose. Thank you, guys. That was Matt Bronger in today's Comedy Corner with a part of a piece I'm calling Owls, taken from his debut on Letterman. Now it's time to speak with Marissa Dupuis of Coastal Animal Clinic, where the Largo location is presenting their first adoption event in Open House this Saturday. Here to tell us a little bit about it is Marissa Dupuis on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Marissa. Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, first, tell us a little bit about Coastal Animal Clinic and what you think distinguishes it from other veterinary hospital uh, operations. Yeah, so Coastal Animal Clinic, we have two locations, one here in Largo in Pinellas County and then one over in Tampa in Hillsboro. Um, our Largo location um, was bought in 2016. Um, they're both our privately owned clinics. Uh, Dr. Brooke and Dr. Mike both own these clinics. Um, we have about five full-time veterinarians between both of our locations. 
Um, we do have some specialty doctors that will come in and do orthopedic surgeries. Um, we have the ability to do acupuncture, ultrasound, um, and then we're a full general practice. So, you know, we can do anything from routine vaccines, x-rays. Again, we have the ability to do emergency surgeries such as exploratories or if we need to do any orthopedics or anything like that as well. Wow, sound like you got us covered there. <laughs> yeah, we, we really do. <laughs> That's great. So what, what prompted this uh, open house? Why, why now, for example? Yeah, so we actually just did um, a little revamping at our Largo location. Um, we just painted, um, and we work really closely with a lot of rescue groups around us. We really like to help the community as best as we can. Um, and we decided, you know, why not have an open house, give tours, you know, of our Largo location, especially after our new paint job and some remodeling, and, you know, get some pets, some homes that they deserve. So so it sounds like kind of the, the open house and the adoption thing kind of came together right right from the get-go. They were always sort of meant to be together. Yes. <laughs> That's great. So uh, describe a little bit about what's going to happen at the open house. Yeah, so um, we're going to have quite a few vendors here. Um, you know, we have some uh, pet and uh, people wellness. So we have um, a lot of, uh, we have Camp Bow Wow joining us um, just to kind of promote them. Um, we also have some smaller um, locally owned businesses um, that sell pet collars, harness. Um, we do have a few, um, uh, you know, boutiques coming for people as well, um, a few random for, for pet uh, people wellness. Um, and then we'll also have, of course, like I said, those pets for adoption. Um, we're going to give some hospital tours, kind of just show them, you know, some of our equipment. We're going to have a few of our doctors here um, and hopefully, like I said, get some, some pets some good homes so that's great how many animals do you think will be uh at the open house for um, for adoption right now, i don't have a set number just yet just yeah. of course you know these pets are going out for adoption all week before the event um right now with suncoast animal league they told me they'll at least minimum have seven okay. um, they're gonna have some young puppies they will have um, possibly a few of the older pets Okay. And then Paul Life Rescue, I haven't gotten a set number on them just yet, but they should probably have close to about seven as well. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be more of our older pets, our our, our little oldies but goodies. So. Okay, that's great. So a nice mix there for people to come by and say, hey, while we're over there, let's look around and maybe uh, take uh, take an animal home. We've been talking Absolutely. about it anyway. Yeah. yeah, and we'll have snacks and all sorts of stuff. So That's great. <laughs> Cool. So do you anticipate maybe doing a, the, an occasional sort of open house slash adoption event? Just like you said earlier, one of the things you kind of like to do is support local rescues, and um, it seems like a good means to uh, to do so. Yeah, I think because um, this is, of course, our first our first one. Yeah. So, um, I definitely think we want to kind of make this an annual thing if we're okay. able to. Um, again, because we work with so many rescues to get everybody to kind of come together and you know, find those pets, their homes and, you know, get the word out about, you know, the rescues itself. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people sometimes go to private breeders and stuff and, you know, there's no too. So we're saying no to that. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, this sounds cool. Well, let's run down a few of the details real quick here before we wrap up, Marissa. So again, this is this Saturday, June twenty fourth. It'll be two two to five PM, Coastal Animal Clinic, which I believe the address is ten nineteen Highland Avenue in Largo. Yes. And uh, so you can find out more. Uh, give us your website and or 
a social media page for people that might be driving around and interested but maybe couldn't write down some of the details? Yeah, so um, our uh, our website is coastalvets.com, um, and then our Facebook page, you can find us on our Coastal Animal Clinic. We also have our Coastal Animal Clinic Tampa location page as well on Facebook. That's great. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Good luck. Sounds like it's going to be a great, uh, great Saturday over there. Awesome. Thanks for having me, and I hope um, we get to see it quite a few of the listeners. So. Yeah, let's hope so. That'd be great. All right, thanks again, Marissa. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Coming up on WNF, we'll continue with our public affairs programming for the next hour. Then after that, we shift back to music programming with Jim Bannon holding four from 1 to 3 p.m., followed by Robin and Cassie from 3 to 6, then our terrific Wednesday night block of Latin music. Meanwhile, on this show, at the moment, it's a prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault. To the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song, which arguably ties into Saturday's Coastal Animal Clinic adoption event. Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMF. Everybody having a ball Until the fellas start the name calling And the girls respond to the call I have a pool and shout out Who let the dogs out? All right, if you can name that animal tune, we'll take your guests off the air as soon as we finish up our show, which we're rapidly reaching the end of. It's the latter moment of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I invite you to join me next Wednesday for another edition right here at 11 a.m. on WMNF. Also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there, too, as well as our other pa- on other podcast platforms. There are also links to our social media pages and more. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. My thanks again to Valerie Benka. And Marissa Dupuy for joining us here today on Talking Out. We'll see you next uh, Wednesday, 11 a.m. NPR News headlines coming up shortly, followed by more public affairs programming on WNF. And then Jim Bannon takes over to Rock and Olia from 1 to 3, and it just keeps going from there. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. Thanks.